0: And we all got dreams. We all want things. But what you gonna do for it? How you gonna move for What you gonna be? And do you believe we could do anything? But what you gonna do for How you gonna move for What you going be? Another edition of Outside Shots presented by TheLines.com. You can follow us on X at TheLinesUS. You can follow me at Eli Herskovich talking college basketball. Betting with you for the rest of the season. Excited to dive into the game by game slate and the futures market as well. And if you're not already a user of BetMGM Sportsbook, a reminder that you could get up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your first bet loses with promo code TheLines, one word, up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. Remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money. And as always, terms and conditions apply. And check out our Discord channel at thelines.com to get all of our bets in real time. The link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. Now it's time to be joined by the great Tom Crean, former Division I men's basketball coach at Marquette, took the Golden Eagles to the Final Four back in 03, Indiana from 2008 to 2017. Georgia from 2018 to 2022. And now... One of the best college basketball analysts out there over at ESPN, Coach. You're getting ready for a broadcast tonight at ESPN. So, how you doing with all the college hoops going on?
1: Uh, I'm doing great, Eli. It's been—it's almost like college hoops have taken a backseat to all the football news. You know, starting with the uh, the Michigan win on Monday night, but with all the changes, I mean, it just—it overwhelms you. You know, when you think about the uh, the fact that so many greats like Nick Saban and Bill Belichick and even Pete Carroll. Uh, are not going to be where they were. That there's change, and it's uh, it's incredible because those guys have changed. Especially Bill and, and Nick have changed the dynamic of the sport in football and in coaching, and leadership, in so many ways. But the, the the games are great, and it's fun to watch um, your film work or your analysis play out on the on the court. You know, either in what you thought or what you didn't see coming, and now you've got to react to it, and and it's great because. What you see is there's just an incredible amount of parity every year, uh, none more so than now that, that I've ever seen. In in the old anybody can beat anybody on any given night is as true as it's ever been. It's extremely hard to go on the road in any league and win. Uh, and the mental toughness that you've got to have not only at the end of the game, but in the last seven, eight, nine, ten minutes of the game is incredible. And I think that's the thing that's always up for grabs in this new portal nil transactional world is is how do you get guys uh to stay connected when it really gets hard or or when you've when you've lost the lead or when you've almost made it all the way back you know all those different things that just totally totally are going to be derived from your level of connectivity and mental toughness i think that that's fascinating to me to watch right now
0: Yeah, and I want to dive into the home road splits and all the parody in college basketball for sure in a second. But you touched on football at the top with all the elite legendary coaches going out. Belichick, not by his own doing, Saban by his own doing, and Carroll, not so much either. But Football-wise, you were at the national championship game on Monday night. And before we got started, for your brother-in-law, Jim Harbaugh, now national champ with Michigan, and you rightfully so called me out for calling you a side stealer (laughs) when there was a photo taken of you in the crowd in the second quarter. But what was it like for you watching your brother-in-law try to win a national championship?
1: Uh, it's, It's highly stressful. I mean it, it really is for our entire family you know my father-in-law and mother-in-law jack and jackie harbaugh the only guy maybe more popular uh in the building you know to start it, before that game starts was jim other than my father-in-law jack i mean it's like walking with an absolute rock star and my wife feel like the security around him you know one's got uh joni's mother and the other one's got her dad and and everybody wants a picture or wants him to yell out who's got it better than us and It's incredible. Right. But once that starts to get close, you know, once that 45 minute mark, 40 minute mark starts before that game, everybody's locked in. And during the game, it's highly stressful because you want your family to be happy. You want to see a member of your family that I've been in the family over 30 years now. I mean, you want to see them be successful. You want to see them win. And uh, it, it actually, it brought back memories from the Super Bowl in 2013 when John and Jim both went against each other. And you knew that one was going to be extremely happy and you won and you knew that one was going to be extremely down. And until it happens, you really can't uh, you, you can't feel it. Right. But like once it happens, uh, it's incredible and it's a great moment for somebody and it's a terrible moment for the other. And you're kind of caught in the middle as a family member. Well, here, at least we knew if Jim won that game, that it was going to be incredible for everybody and for his family. And it was awesome to see him win it because the, the way they have built that program, the way they have built that team, uh, the way they keep getting the most, you talk about connected and bonded and wanting to see each other be successful and tough minded and like-minded and going through a lot of hard things together uh, on and off the field. I mean, that team had it and and it was it would have been a real shame if they didn't win it because they've they've endured so much and they've had such a mindset to get to that place. And and when that opportunity came, they were ready to grab it. So it was awesome to see.
0: Yeah, we could you mentioned John and Jim Harbaugh, we could wind up getting a couple Harbaugh championships. If the Ravens win it, I have Ravens futures, so I am personally invested in your brother-in-law winning a Super Bowl, second Super Bowl in his career. But Coach, let's get into college basketball. And going back to Tuesday and Wednesday night, it was the first time over a two-day stretch in college basketball history that you had four teams in the top five of the AP Top 25 poll lose to unranked teams in the span of a couple days. Purdue on Tuesday night at Nebraska, Houston at Iowa State, Kansas at UCF, and Tennessee at Mississippi State. And you brought up all the parity in the sport. Going back to preseason, if you look at where teams were ranked and just juxtaposed to the differential and Kempom, it was the lowest, the minimum margin between any team in the top 10 since 2012 in terms of adjusted efficiency. So we are seeing parity at an all-time high, whether it's in computer metrics and in results on the court. Home road splits. How difficult is it to go on the road in college basketball as a coach and win a game in conference play?
1: Oh, it's 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 incredibly hard. I mean, and there there are certain things you don't have to have all of these as measurables and metrics and 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 the, and the qualities of the game that you have to have, but you better have a bunch of them. And you can't go on the road and give up live ball turnovers. If you're going to turn it over, they cannot be in live ball situations because those multiply. All right. Not only do you give up a live ball turnover and the other team goes down and score, a lot of times it's going to be a dunk or a three. And now the crowd just erupts and and those play with your head. And it's very, very hard to get back into the next possession. And to me, I don't think there's enough teams right now that capitalize on creating another turnover after they turn somebody over. Like you get the turnover, you go down and score. It's like get right back up into them. And try to create, keep creating the chaos. And a lot of teams aren't really doing that. They're just getting back and playing. And, and, and that's kind of a benefit for the team that just turned it over. I mean, that's where you really want to go and you just want to pound on somebody. And I think the live ball turnover situation is as big as anything. I think you have to make jump shots on the road. You don't have to make a ton of them, but you've got to be able to make some. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you got to find a way to get to the free throw line and that's where the rebounding comes in because you've got to be able to defensive rebound to get your break going so you can get down and try to put some pressure on the rim and attack and have the potential to get fouled there. But another area you can get fouled is on the offensive glass. And that is a huge, huge part of it. You know, in, in, in basketball, if you cut, it's really like running a second offense. It's like having a second play. It's not, well, we got the early clock, we got the middle of the clock, we got the shot clock play. When you add cutting to your offense and it's random – uh, just reading the game cutting. It's like having a whole second play that somebody can't get ready for. And teams that do that, you can carry that to the road as well. And, and because, because awareness off the ball, that isn't always better for the home team. You know, awareness off the ball can be a problem in a lot of areas. But so you've got to find a way to get to the foul line. Offensive rebounding is a big part of that. And I think another one with the foul line, you've got to find a way to be the aggressor on the road. And And, and if you're not, okay, And then it's going to really be a hard thing for you. Kansas was not the aggressor at Central Florida. Central Florida was. Houston was not the aggressor at Iowa State. Iowa State was. Purdue was not the aggressor, all right, at Nebraska. Nebraska was. And that plays into the hands. You've got to go in and put pressure on the referees to figure out how the game is going to be called. And who gets in the bonus first cannot just be the home team, okay, as a rule. It's got to be – it's got to come – from the road as well because all those things matter because you know if you're going to win on the road in all likelihood and the majority of the percentages is going to be a very very close game so you've got to find ways to make that happen and then what you can't do outside of the live ball turnovers you cannot let a team at home just throttle you with their fast break your transition defense has got to be fantastic and then there's a lot of other things that go into the equation but those are the biggest ones to me and I think that's that's what happens you can go back and look at those factors and see how teams play
0: yeah and you go back to that houston iowa state game in particular i heard you on the halftime and post game of that game if you look at Turnovers, Cougars racked up 16. You also rarely see a Calvin Sampson, especially Houston team, get nearly out-rebounded. I know Iowa State didn't necessarily out-rebound them. Houston plus two in that department. But Houston is typically a monster on the offensive glass. To your point, too, about getting second-chance shots and getting to the line. I'm curious. If you look at national title odds over at BetMGM, Houston right around 11-1. to One of the favorites to win it all. You go from the AAC, though, to the Big 12, and that was a concern for some batters, some college basketball fans looking at Houston this year, that yes, they've had success in the NCAA tournament, but the quality of the schedule, if you look at their non-conference schedule, and now you face arguably the best conference in terms of opponents in college basketball in the landscape of the big 12. How concerned are you with Houston being a true national title contender when those issues did pop up? Yes. Against a very physical Iowa state team, no doubt about it, but shooting wise, you have LJ crier coming over from Baylor, a very efficient shooter. Didn't play like it on Tuesday. Jerwan Roberts was kind of taken out of the picture at times, at least on the glass. Where's your level of concern at with the Cougars?
1: Well, I don't, first off, you didn't ask this, but to me, uh, I think you look at, okay, who's the best team? I don't think you just measure the best team on the record or where they're at in January, because you don't win a game. You don't win the national championship at home or on the road. You win it on a neutral court. And to me, the two best teams in the country right now that I would say could win it on a neutral court in a championship situation, and it could change, but it's Houston and it's UConn to me. And But but that doesn't mean anything when you go on the road to a place like Iowa State. And what Houston has got to show up, you, the, one of the ways you beat Houston is you guard them one-on-one without overhelping. And that's a lot of what Iowa State did the other day. They they, they have relied more and more on the drive and kick game when they're playing more of a four-guard lineup. I don't think they're offensive rebounding. I'm not even sure what the numbers are, but when the look test, to me, they're not nearly as aggressive and as good at tipping the ball uh, as they have been on the glass because they've got a very they've got a, now they're better on the perimeter they're, they're better they they make quicker passes they've got more guys that can shoot with some range they've got as good a point guard as there is in Jamel shed they can go four guards and really hurt you if they put dunn sharp crier and shed on the floor but that's not an offensive rebounding team and the, the the problem the other day was the turnovers so they had 12 turnovers in the first half they had combined for 12 turnovers in two games the previous two games so it's, it, the concern is, yes, the teams are better from top to bottom. The crowds are going to be phenomenal. Houston was a big, was a big game, uh, colored and red type of game for everybody uh, that they've played in the A.C. Well, it's the same in the Big 12. But those Big 12 teams, they've played a lot of teams like a Houston, right? I mean, that's what they're dealing with every night. They may not be as good at, as Houston. But they're playing real, live, we-can-win, high-level games teams every night, and you become more used to it. So I'm not as concerned about that. I think – I mean, they're going to go to TCU on Saturday night, and TCU's got as good a break as there is in the country at the highest level. I mean, when when they get out and run – so, like, if they turn it over there, I mean, that could be a very, very tough night. TCU is legit. I mean – I don't think there's anybody in the country that TCU couldn't beat, and I think they're going to going to find out on on, on uh, Saturday night with Houston. But the bottom line is, they're really good. They're pretty deep. They're like so many other teams. They can't withstand too many injuries. You know, some teams are so good they could withstand two injuries. Some teams are only as good as being able to withstand one injury. And and those are the things that you have to. You you can't plan it out but you've got to be able to project and say okay what happens if an injury foul trouble uh what happens if a suspension you know all those different things that can come up on a, any team during the year you know how do you account for that can you still find a way to win and I think Houston can't I think Houston could could withstand some tough days and still find a way to win they almost won the other night you know I thought at halftime Iowa State didn't capitalize nearly as much in the first half as they could have you know, no lead is safe when you're playing a team like Houston. You just want to pour it on in every possible way that you can. And, and Iowa State took their foot off the gas a little bit, took some tough shots. I mean, I thought they could have been up more. But that's what these games are about, because the best teams, they are not going away. And I think Houston is like that. That's why I'm not worried about it.
0: Yeah, and speaking of injuries with Houston, we saw that a couple years ago. Marcus Sasser dealing with an injury in the NCAA tournament, but... Specifically saw that with Tremont Mark going back to that Cougars team a couple years ago. And Shed also banged up. But looking at some teams a little lower down on the national title odds board. And one of your former players, actually, a team that I bet going back to last month, Auburn and Katie Johnson, who you coached, of course, at Georgia. The Tigers are now 20-1 to over at BetMGM. And you look at offensively and defensively, top 15 in both categories. To me, the best depth in college basketball, especially when you have Cardwell, who could arguably be starting at a school like Houston, backing up Janai Broom, Donaldson, backing up Holloway, and then Katie Johnson, like I mentioned, backing up Denver Jones and also playing some one. What's Auburn's ceiling at this point? Because they play to it, but is there another gear for this Tigers team in terms of the national title conversation?
1: I think they're figuring it out. I think they're on an eight-game winning streak since they had that that tough loss at the... uh, escape uh, appalachian state and and what you have is you're you're exactly right they have a deep team but what what they can't do is become their worst enemy when they're playing well and what bruce has really done this year and he did it last year but you can really see it this year is he's calling more sets that are the strength of the team right for our strength of the players i should say strength of individual players like katie johnson you can tell he's got a couple of plays one being in isolation he's going to be on the left slot High wing area the majority of the time when he's in the game. He's got more bona fide shooters with Mazzara and Denver Jones. The, the He's got older guys up front. You mentioned Cardwell, Broom. Jalen Williams is playing fantastic. He's got a lot of different ways he can go. He's got a tremendous point guard. Uh, Trey Donaldson could be starting on many teams as a point guard. You know, he's, he, he's a tough guy. He's got a very tough team. What For them to continue to be successful – it, it, it shot selection is going to be absolutely key because they are too talented and too good to take bad shots because even the, even the other night, it, AM had chances inside of that game yep. and, and to come back. I mean, they really did. The other thing that's going to be big for Auburn where, where they can get in trouble is if you have mobile four and five men and, and because they can, th- their bigs really struggle guarding the ball. Their big struggle getting out to guard shooters. So the spacing type of 4-5 is going to be a problem for them, potentially. Now, you're also going to have to turn around. and you, you, You're not going to be able to guard Broom one-on-one when he's feeling it like he did against Arkansas. And, and you've, got to, you've got to bring some type of mix of defenses, confusion. You can't let them get comfortable, because Auburn right now has got so many guys that can make plays that when they understand each other's strengths, like they're really starting to do, that's when they're most dangerous. And, and when Bruce has had good teams that could have been great, but maybe didn't always make it is because maybe they didn't always understand how good each other were. And then it becomes a little bit too much trying to prove how good they are individually. To this point, Bruce's team has not done that, it, that I've seen. And I've watched a lot of their games. I, it, and I think that's a credit to him and his staff. It's credit to the maturity of the team. And that's going to have to keep up because if they do that, and they're going to have a tremendous chance to make it to the final four and, and play for it all.
0: Yeah, I love your point, too, about calling individual sets for key players like Katie Johnson. I think Auburn is one of the most top 10 in terms of offensive efficiency after timeout sets offensively. We saw it against A&M. They needed a bucket with about six or seven to go. I forget who it was that Pearl called the play for. But you're right about Johnson on the slot or wing. He is elite. In one on one situations, isolation scoring from that position on the court. So
1: here's two things that aren't, getting, that aren't getting scouted well enough. Okay. Enough people playing against them do not have a plan for their pressure on the out of bounds. Right. And there to be nearly as good of preparation from top to bottom going into guarding their inbounds plays. You know, if somebody's going to get credit for being the best in the country at it, like Bruce does, you would think teams would be spending more time on that because it's a real strength. But then it baffles me. I'll be sitting watching a game, or sitting in the studio, and the timeout's going to come, and you say, "Hey, they're going to go to this or this." You know, nobody can hear me except the people I'm sitting with, right? But then all of a sudden they come out with it. And I'm thinking, like, wait a minute, how do you not know these things are coming? I mean, it, it's it, it's crazy. So Bruce right now is really taking advantage of some very average preparation from top to bottom on people trying to take away some of their strengths. And I think some of it is, is because you've got to get ready for so many different talents that their players have, that there's only so much time you have uh, to get your team well-schooled on some of the other things you've got to take away. And when you got a deep team like that, that can keep coming at you and you've got to deal with the pressure and all those different things that they have. Something's got to give. And I think that's another t- credit to Bruce and what he's doing.
0: And you brought up a really good point too, with when Auburn is in a position, or I guess not in a good position, playing drop with Broom or Cardwell because you're facing a five-man that could space the floor and shoot it. So it'll be in- yeah. interesting to see how they fare maybe against a Kentucky, Trey Mitchell, and some of those Bradshaw really good floor-spacing bigs that Kentucky has. I want to touch on another team, too, that is around the same price point as Auburn to win it all. North Carolina off to a 3-0 start in conference play, winning three straight road games at Pitt, at Clemson, at NC State. R.J. Davis, now that he's playing on the ball and is the true lead guard in that North Carolina offense with Love in Arizona, who's doing a great job in Tommy Lloyd's system. He's excelled and flourished. You have Cadeau also stepping up when it comes to his assist to turnover ratio, especially last night, look a little bit more comfortable. And then Harrison Ingram has arguably been one of the best transfers in the country, but How much credit maybe do you give to North Carolina just in terms of maybe this conference in the ACC not being as elite as the SEC, Big 12, teams from those conferences that we discussed so far?
1: Well, first and foremost, last year's North Carolina team had more of a my-turn feel. It's my turn to shoot. No, no, it's my turn to shoot. And they had a lot of talent, but there were numerous games that they didn't get beat in. They just lost the games because they made too many mistakes offensively they weren't as locked in defensively guys get into their feelings because they're not making shots which is going to happen to any team and i think what, what they didn't have and what they have now when you put Wojcik in there when you put cormac ryan in there those guys can make shots but they don't need the ball to impact the game they can move without the ball north carolina didn't really have that last year and and even leaky black who had been there before he he, he was trying to score and i'm not saying that that's wrong because you have bona fide guys that can score. But you've got to have a team of guys that, that can win and they can move the ball. We don't win at, at, at Indiana in 2013 or in 2016, win those Big Ten championships if we don't have guys like Will Sheehy. Victor Oladipo was a was a National Player of the Year candidate, but he became Victor Oladipo because of the way that he could play without the ball. Uh, Max BFL, Nick Zeisloff, all these different guys, Troy Williams, They could play without the ball. No matter how good you are, if you don't have those guys, your ceiling is lowered. And I think that's one of the reasons. It's not about the stats. It's about the movement, and it's about the synergy that they play with a lot of times. So Carolina has got that. They've shown that they're deep. They've improved. R.J. Davis is having a fantastic year. I think, again, they're a little like Auburn. And, and, And when they deal with their switching at times can leave a lot to be desired. You know, Harrison Ingram, if they're going to win and they're going to switch, I don't care what anybody says. He's got to be better guarding the ball. I mean, he's got to be better guarding guards, and, and especially if he wants to play in the NBA someday. He's going to have to be better at that. But but the thing that they have with Baycott, with Ingram, with Withers, with Washington is, again, they're not always real great in pick-and-roll defense, and they're not that good at getting out and guarding the dribble or guarding the shooter. And again, it, you only have to play against some good scoring, shooting four-fives one night in March to go home. And, and that's where you prepare for those matchups down the road by getting better at all those things right now. Now, with what you said, the second part of it, I think the ACC is better than what people think because I think people are going to really do well at home. I mean, you look at Clemson's now lost three uh, in a row on the road. I think, you know, That was no fluke last night. Lynn Kidd is better. Lynn Kidd starts the game better for Virginia Tech. And even with the injury in the game, it opens up the court that much more. But on the same token, Clemson didn't play like a team that needed to get out of of a two-game winning streak, right? So you're going to have that. The home crowd, the home team has got something to do with that. I think there's more parity in that league. I don't think there's any question that it's Duke and Carolina or Carolina and Duke, however you want to look at it right now is the top of that league but they've got a lot of games to go on the road and no matter where they go they're the biggest games of the year they're the first and second biggest games of the year for anybody that they play on the road in that league and they're going to have to deal with that so uh, i don't think it's a i don't think it's a league where One, two, three losses is going to be what it's going to take to win that league. You might be able to still win that league with four or five losses, and I I don't think that would be out of the norm this year.
0: Yeah, and you go back to Clemson. How about Saturday against North Carolina? If they hit three or four threes, I think they went one of 17, one of 18 from deep. If you make a couple more open threes, you put a little game pressure on UNC down the stretch, and it could have been a completely different outcome, which is something I talk about a lot, variants and – It happens all the time in college basketball, especially in those home road games. But one other team I wanted to focus on before we get on to some Saturday games, Coach, is Wisconsin, another team off to a 3-0 starting conference play. A.J. Storr scoring 15 of his 17 points in the first half. A huge road win. I know Ohio State lost to Indiana on Saturday night, but as we've alluded to throughout this podcast, it's very tough to win on the road in college basketball, and Wisconsin did it. Probably their most, well, arguably, easily, their most legitimate pro prospect in terms of Store since Johnny Davis. And the one thing I like about this team is, Compared to that 2022 Wisconsin team is, A, they have more shooting. I think that Badgers team shot at around bottom 60 in college basketball in terms of three-point efficiency. But Chucky Hepburn isn't a freshman anymore. Now he's a junior point guard. So the difference in terms of the experience level on this Badgers team is much higher. What kind of shot do you give Wisconsin to potentially challenge Purdue at the top of the Big Ten and then also make a run in March?
1: Uh, very much so. You know, I don't know if they're going to, if they're going to overtake Purdue. Um, it, they could, I think Illinois is still really good. I mean, we, we could be talking about Terrence Shannon being back here. I mean, obviously, uh, I, I did not look at Illinois. I mean, obviously Terrence Shannon was playing great in, in, in so many areas, but I didn't look at Illinois like there was going to be a great follow fall off, you know, when that suspension came, they've got a lot of talent. I mean, Coleman Hawkins has got to be more consistent. Dan Danger's got to be more consistent. But they got some hard-playing, shot-making, aggressive guys. Rodgers, Domas, all those different guys. But Wisconsin, I say, is a team that has really, really improved since November. Because I think early on this season, especially when you look at some of their losses, I think Providence got them, right? Providence was one of the teams that beat them. I think you look – when I would watch them early, I thought they were trying to prove how good they were individually. And i think over a period of time really starting with the marquette game and moving forward on from that they wanted to show how good they are together how good they are collectively they're not playing for the next year the the nba they don't look like that they look like they're really playing together they complement each other really well and i think they're way tougher than people think and especially on the glass they're a physical team they get up under you Uh, It's one of those things, the way they challenge shots, their verticality is always going to be a problem. It's always going to play with your head because of the way they get up under you. And they're very, very good at it. They're going to the glass, okay? They're going to be aggressive on the glass at all times. They've got a break. They've got more athleticism. When you talk about Chucky and AJ, those guys can do more things. Um, They've got shot makers. They've got bigs that can make shots. And and to me, that's what you've got to have. You've got to have, if you're going to win in March... And if you're going to win games on the road, you got to be a special preparation. You can have an average night and a slightly above average night. You can't have a poor night and win at home in these leagues, but you can have an average night and still win at home, right? You can't do that on the road. So if you've got special preparations of how you've got to get ready for this guy that can shoot from here or that guy because he can drive the ball, those are the things that, that really help you. And I think Wisconsin has got that, and I think that's why they're going to win more road games. They've already won at Michigan State. They've already won at Ohio State, correct?
0: Correct, yeah, last night.
1: Yeah, those are two really hard places to play. So uh, trust me, I mean, there's no doubt they're going to continue to be that team as long as they keep that attitude. What happens in January, middle of January to late January, but what definitely happens in February is it's really, really hard. And I'm not saying this about Wisconsin. I'm saying this in general. It's really, really hard to keep your team on the same page of what it takes to win because more and more voices are coming, more and more voices. Hey, the NIL, hey, you can make this. Hey, this is what we could get out of the portal. Hey, this is what could happen in the NBA. And it's real, especially if you're having any type of success, it's really hard to stay locked into team basketball. I don't care what anybody says. Anybody that would disagree with that doesn't want you to know the truth. I mean, you got to fight that as a coach and as a staff every day. And that doesn't make the players, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying that even that they're wrong, what happens is they're human. There's a human dynamic to this. And I think you, you have to watch that constantly. It's not about if the shot went in, Did the, was the shot a good shot? It's not about was the turnover live ball or did the turnover lead to a basket? Why did they make that pass? What were they trying to do? Did a guy just make two shots in a row and now he's going to take a third basket? Those are the kind of things that tell you where the chemistry of a team is. You know, there's numerous things in that. But that's what I'm watching all the time, because that's what I watched all the time in scouting, because you're looking to where you can find your edge as a coach. And and, and you want to have it on your team, but you want to find the edge that you can take away from the other team. And sometimes togetherness, connectivity, those things are things that aren't as good as they need to be. And that's what you have to constantly watch. And because... There's always so many things that are going on with a team that nobody knows about, okay? And you just got to come out there every night and be able to deal with what you have and not only control the controllables, but you got to be able to handle the uncontrollables, the foul situation, the injury situation. Somebody got hot. You got to be able to make adjustments quickly. And that's one of the reasons my brother-in-law at Michigan won the national championship. They, they could make adjustments. People saw the talent. They saw the offense, the defense. They could make adjustments because they were trained to make them. And I think that's what has to happen in basketball as well.
0: Yeah, and we'll see if Wisconsin has any sort of a letdown to your point about mentality and focus against Northwestern.
1: That more is a general right. rule of thumb, watch college basketball. that I think gets missed by a lot of people because they're following the ball, right? You know, it, 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 the more you can get away from watching the ball, the more you learn about a team. And 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 I think that's it, you got to acquire that skill, but watching the movement, watching the weak side stance, watching the, the game is won and lost on the weak side of the floor. You know, in and, in and, and most cases, it's the team that gets the most layups or the most chances at the rim that turn into foul, foul shots, right? And it, it's it's those teams. Well, it's the teams that win on the weak side of the floor, the teams that usually win the games and can keep going. And the more that you can get your 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 eyes to look at what's going on. And I'm I'm saying this for everybody. it's, It's hard to do, but man, you see the game so much differently when you can watch more
0: than just the basketball in a game. And, and that's where you can really, really learn about a team. And that's why you do have some letdown situations with teams, not Wisconsin in particular, that it will happen, but teams across college basketball. You're At the end of the day, you're talking about 18 to 22-year-old kids, as you well know. So you do potentially get letdowns, or you have coaches like yourself that can get your players to play up in those spots when they may Sit back a little bit after a big road win or whatnot, coming back home or playing on the road after a huge home win, whichever it may be. But either way, Wisconsin in the fifty to one range over at BetMGM. Now looking ahead to some big home spots for teams, potential bounce back spots for one on Saturday. This one, not so much. I'm really curious to see how you potentially see this game playing out. We talked about Alabama, Nick Saban. We're not talking about the football team right now. Alabama basketball with Nate Oates projected to be around a two-point road favorite at Mississippi State. And speaking of schedules, the Tide have played one of the toughest non-conference schedules in college basketball among power six teams. Now they face a Bulldogs team that just knocked off Tennessee last night. Alabama coming off a blitzkrieg win against South Carolina. You think about defending the paint. Alabama actually does it at a little bit more of an efficient rate than what I expected looking at the numbers. But now you're going up against Tolu Smith, which is a completely different animal. So how do you see this Alabama-Mississippi State game potentially playing out?
1: I think this is where you can go back and you can look at, at, at past games, and I think you can you can learn some of the story from there too. Mississippi State plays Alabama very well. They're a physical team. Tolu Smith is healthy. Healthy. They've got a deep team. Um, the, the problem for Alabama is again, are they going to be strong enough, and it, do they need a double team when that ball is going into the post? you know their post defense has gotten better but it's not it's not where it needs to be their guard play is fantastic they've got guys that can score i'm not talking about the offensive side i'm talking more about the defensive side and and mississippi state can control pace you know when you when you go into a game mississippi state can turn it up they can slow it down and they can pound you and 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 alabama wants to play fast they may have to force the pace in that game to try to get some transition plays, because obviously they got great guards. I mean, great guards. And Ryland Griffin is a guy that can change the game one way or the other, too. I mean, he's he's four or five threes in a row due here at some point in a game because they have so many guys that can score at Alabama. But I see Mississippi State being physical, getting up into the ball, driving the ball, posting up the ball, trying to get the ball inside and in transition. And, and really, really go at Alabama inside of that paint. And uh, Mississippi State's for real. They, they were real, were for real before Tolu uh, got healthy. I mean, he's a bona fide NBA prospect. I don't know where you would project him yet. I think it's too early to tell on that, but he wins and he plays and, and he can do a lot of different things. And Chris Jans is a heck of a coach. I mean, he really is. Chris Jans is one of the most underrated coaches going, but I say that and I say, uh, even going back into November, I, I picked Alabama as a team that could get to the Final Four, and they got beat by Ohio State. I, I didn't care. I still think they're a Final Four-capable team.
0: In particular, you were talking about transition, or at least Alabama trying to push the tempo, trying to enforce that quick pace and mm-hmm. you look at three-point efficiency Mississippi State has only allowed opponents to shoot around 27% from three which you would expect at some point because I was looking at this two on synergy opponents shooting just 28.6% on unguarded jumpers you would expect that to rise eventually if you buy in to regression and Alabama is certainly a team that could cause your three-point defense to regress but as you said also if Mississippi State really slows this game down to a halt and they control the tempo and get Tolu Smith a bunch of touches inside, then it's going to be difficult for Alabama to win the battle of pace and get open threes.
1: I don't know if they have to slow Hmm. it down as much as when they get into the half court, they've got to go to their strengths. You know, I I still think Mississippi State runs. I mean, they're athletic. They got a lot of guys they want to get up and down the court. But I think what what you have to, recognition is going to be key in that game. Do you have the break or do you not and now if you go into a jump shooting game with alabama eight times out of ten you're going to probably lose that game okay but if you go into a situation where you're trying to get the ball inside get into the paint get to the foul line muck it up so to speak that way you know that that that's big like that that has to happen in so many of these games when you go on the road and you can't keep up with that pace you got to change the pace to get it in your favor so if they want to play Methodical basketball, you've got to bring pressure. If they want to play really fast, you've got to muck it up and try to get to the foul line so you can set your defense. You know, there's every game is different. And and Mississippi State can play a lot of different ways, but if they play too fast with Alabama, then that's just playing into their hands because they're way too good at that. Alabama, way, way too good if you want to run with them.
0: And you also wonder if Grant Nelson is going to see that three-point efficiency rise, too. To your point about Alabama playing the way they want to in the half court, missed some big threes against Creighton and Arizona that could have potentially flipped both games or at least brought Alabama a little bit closer in that second half against the Wildcats. But speaking of the Wildcats, another one of these home spots that I'm really curious to get your perspective on, Kentucky, Projected to be about a one-point favorite, so a pick ish at Texas A&M. Aggies coming off back-to-back losses against LSU. And then at Auburn, we touched on the Tigers a bunch. You would expect, at least from me, Coach, This to be a bounce back spot here for A&M because Kentucky shooting about 40% from three A&M shooting 26% from three. Again, a guy who believes in regression. I think that efficiency is going to rise eventually. And then we touched on offensive rebounding a lot earlier with a team like Houston or in previous seasons, at least A&M one of the best offensive rebounding teams in college basketball, Anderson Garcia and Henry Coleman did that a lot against Auburn, even though it may not have shown up in terms of the final score. So how does this game go for you pace wise or situationally with Kentucky and a
1: Well, I think at some point, if you're going to win a game like that, if you're A&M, you've got to have Tyrese Radford and Wade Taylor the fourth on the same page and have both have really good games. That has to happen. I don't think you can beat Kentucky if one of those guys has got 22 and the other one's got eight, right? And I also don't think you can beat Kentucky if they'll do those two combine and they're shooting in the mid-30s, right? They have 30 percentage. They've got to play together because I don't think Kentucky's front line is, is going to be uh, uh, something that's an advantage for them over a and I think Henry Coleman is active. He can move. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting. Are they going to put Trey Mitchell in the pick and roll? Okay, because that's not a strength of his and not just put Aaron Bradshaw's man in the pick and roll. Um, if, if the big, big key for AM is not just the defense. The, the defense for them is going to start with their shot selection because if Kentucky can get them down in the in the uh, in the shot clock and they take bad shots, Kentucky can blitz you on their break. You know, obviously they run better at home, but they'll run on the road, right? So if you if you play into their hands and let them get the ball up the floor and let edwards and reeves get ahead and let wagner and dillingham take off and shepherd get loose i mean that's a problem so so it's not about you have to play slow up your texas a m you can't buzz can't get to the end of that game go back and look at the film and say man we took 8 9 10 11 bad shots in this game you can't have that like if you You've got to be able to get to the foul line, get on the offensive glass. I still don't think Kentucky's a great off, or defensive blockout team. I just don't. I think another big area that 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 AM has got to get better at. And at the same time, Kentucky's got to get better at it if they're going to be better. They got to get guard rebounding blockouts. And and the AM guards got to rebound the ball because that's not a strength of Kentucky's. Kentucky can guard you, but if you spread them out, Okay. And, and you make them play one on one and you can get the over helps. Now you have a chance. Now you have to make the shots. But at the same time, AM can't fall in love with the three to where their rebounding advantage, their offensive rebounding advantage, when Washington, Garcia, people like that are in the game, Coleman can't play as well. Right. Because if you take a bunch of threes and all of a sudden the Kentucky guards are getting long rebounds and they're gone, that break can, can hurt you in a hurry. So, that's going to be a very, very interesting game. I, I would guess Buzz is going to have a couple different ways to attack inside of that game, like he usually yeah. does. And at the same time, uh, Kentucky has got this is going to probably have to be the Florida defensive game plan was, was pretty solid, but they gave Kugel and guys like that too much freedom. This is going to have to probably be Kentucky's best perimeter defensive game to this point for them to win that game
0: yeah and you wonder you brought up three-point shooting for a&m or at least not falling in love with the three wade taylor 0 of yeah. 8 from three against auburn so either they're open shots and he missed like he did a couple of times against auburn or in general collectively they kind of fell in love with the three. so very curious to see how that plays out on both ends at the perimeter now one other game in terms of the home mismatch, potentially, or at least a bounce back spot for some of these teams. New Mexico taking on San Diego State in the pit. San Diego State surviving against San Jose State on Tuesday. And New Mexico fell at UNLV. Now one and two in conference play. And similar to AM, at least when I look at this game on the surface. New Mexico could have an offensive rebounding advantage, but they have to pound the glass with Natalie Jr. Joseph, who is a really good transfer from Iona. And then you brought this up earlier with cuts and off-ball action. I forget which team, but I think the Aztecs can be had in that regard too, especially with New Mexico getting a little healthier with Mashburn back. So what do you expect from San Diego State and New Mexico?
1: I think San Diego State has got to be able to move Jadon Ladee around a lot because he's such a hard matchup. And Richard's a very good coach. Richard'll have a very good scheme if they put him in 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 the spots that you can get the help to, and that they're going to have to move him. I mean, they really are, and and that's kind of what they did against Gonzaga. Um, the thing with New Mexico, I'll go back to the shot selection. They they've got quick guards. They've got good guards. Okay, you want you want to run on San Diego State. What you don't want to do is try to take quick shots. Sometimes at the 20-second mark, at the 23-second mark, at the 16-second mark, that mid-clock area, that plays right into San Diego State's hands. And now if you play fast and you can score on the break and you can get a transition three and you get to the rim and it can be early in the clock, that's great. But if you make three passes and all of a sudden we're going to take a step-back jump shot and or, or get in the lane and get a step-back pull-up and think that that's going to beat a team that's as good defensively as San Diego State, you're not doing that. You're not doing that. And I think when they have not played as well, they've had uh, – I'm not Richard, so I don't know how he views the film, but I view it as there's been too many quick shots that they could have got a better one. And I don't mean get down to the shot clock and try to win the game 55-53. I don't mean that at all. That's that's not the style of play I'm talking about. But they've got to get better shots. If th- Those three early on, those guards, were really playing well together. And that's what has to keep happening. They have got to be complements – of each other and and there, there's been times i've watched and i haven't seen that right and that's how you win a game like that because san diego state for the most part you're going to have to beat them you know that's one of the things that brian Dutcher's team you know you beat a team did you lose to a team you have to beat san diego state because more often than not they're not just going to give you the game because they took bad shots because they had a bunch of live ball turnovers or they weren't ready to be physical and tough and get on that glass and that—that's that—that's key. So, that type of mentality, starting with those guards, and then defensively, uh, can they figure out ways to keep Ladie from getting to his strengths? And can Brian Dutcher have enough different ways to get Ladie
0: to his strengths? You go back to that San Diego State win at Gonzaga, and Tremell having Tremell finally healthy-ish mm-hmm. is a big factor right now, offensively yeah. and defensively. And then I don't know if you remember this, coach, but. When we were previewing the national championship game between UConn and San Diego State, I thought Ladie was going to go over his points prop. I think it was seven and a half, and he kept going at Klingon. He has a very good mid-range game, and he's using it at an efficient rate and then some this season. I'm not saying I'm surprised at the jump he's made considering the depth they had at that four or five spot last year, but... Now that he's actually trusting his mid-range game against some elite front lines and not trying to go at them like he did against Klingon, I mean, it's clearly paying off, and he's made a huge jump, right? Is this any sort of a surprise for you?
1: Personally, and I I don't know his game and
0: work ethic, but it
1: looks like he's got a pretty strong one. So, no, he's got a great body. He's quick. He's tough. Uh, That's a very... I would imagine the San Diego State practices, when they're scrimmaging, are really, really tough, physical, aggressive, and you better have a mouth guard in. You know, that's what, <laughs> right? And I think when you have a mindset like that, and if you'll spend time in that gym, you can improve those types of things. But he looks pretty smooth to me. So I'm not that shocked about that. I mean, I think I think when you've got that kind of talent, athletic ability in an environment like that, and you're willing to put that time in and make the jump, a lot of good things can happen.
0: Yeah, and San Diego State knocked off New Mexico at the pit last year. So it'll be interesting to see. For a New Mexico team that was up, For much of that game, very similar roster construction, despite adding Natalie Jr. Joseph and a couple other pieces, at least with that backcourt, very interested to see if they can finally.
1: That league is so good. I mean, Isaiah Stevens, I said this on the air last night during the wooden uh, uh, list breakdown. Isaiah Stevens reminds me of a kid I had, a young man I had at at Indiana, Yogi Ferrell. You know, a little different, but I mean, could impact the game, tough, strong, compact, could get out of trouble could play through traps, could make shots, could pass the ball anywhere, uh, played to win, right? I mean, there's just so many teams. I mean, you could talk about Colorado State. You could talk about uh, San Diego State. You could throw Nevada in there. You could throw New Mexico in there. To have two or three teams be in the Sweet 16, I, I don't think people that follow basketball for a living would be shocked about that at all.
0: Yeah, and you go back to that Colorado State team a couple years ago that lost to Michigan in the first round with Isaiah Stevens. Easily could have been a sweet 16 team yep. that year, and he's taken a huge leap. So I'm right there with you with the Rams and with the collectivity of this conference overall. But fantastic breakdown of all these upcoming games and the futures market looking at national title contenders. He is Tom Crean, at Tom Crean on X, former Division One men's basketball head coach at Marquette, Indiana, and Georgia, and now doing a great job as an ESPN college basketball analyst. Really appreciate the time, coach. You're welcome. It's good to be with you, Eli. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to Tom Crean for joining us here on Outside Shots. And a reminder, if you're betting college basketball this weekend, and you're not a user already with BetMGM Sportsbook, BetMGM is offering you up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet loses, so... Bet on a college basketball game, you bet 25 bucks. you lose it, you get $25 back in bonus bets, up to $1,500, though, with BetMGM Sportsbook. Remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money, and as always, terms and conditions apply. Good luck on your college basketball bets this weekend. Good luck on your futures bets, too. We got that. 80 to one ticket on Auburn. If you've been listening to the show or check out the discord channel, link is over at the lines.com and top right-hand corner. You can get all of my college basketball bets in real time. So until next week, thanks for watching and listening to another edition of outside Shots. So long, everybody and good luck on your bets.